Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the I-5 Corridor. Tyson Alger here, joined by Aiden Schneider. I think we have both finally thought out from the Washington game, uh, though that game still seems like it has some lasting implications with Jimmy Lake suspended now for the week. Uh, there's a lot of rumors about his job. Aiden, how's it going, man? <laughs> it's going well. I'm, uh, like you said, I'm thought out. It was a brutally cold game, um, and, and the wind just made it that much worse, but big win and uh all the duck fans leaving the stadium were in good spirits i think that's now my fourth game i've covered at husky stadium and i've yet to have just like a pleasant from start to finish uh press box exp- i mean it just it gets so cold and it's always in november so it's just like that real damp wet rain with the wind and but to me that just kind of feels like oregon washington at this point like that's my experience with this rivalry and uh it ended up kind of being a fitting setting for what happened in that game with Oregon just really running the ball down Washington's throat and uh, kind of just punking that program for like the entire week between uh, the lake comments and, and all the fallout that we've had since. Yeah, it was a really impressive performance by Oregon and they had a real slow start throwing a pick early on and, and going down, but Washington's offense just never really was threatening. So even when Oregon didn't necessarily pull away in the second half on the scoreboard, you could kind of just feel the game turn uh, and feel the tide turn in Oregon's favor. Well, that's the crazy thing about that game is because if you were to look at like Oregon's stat sheet, like there would be some things that you would find mildly alarming. I think Anthony Brown had like 98 passing yards. Um, I think I tweeted out midway through the second quarter, like, how are those style points looking? Because at that point, it was a pretty just ugly game. Um, and there were certainly opportunities where Washington or where Oregon gave Washington chances to get in that, whether it be that really inter- that really earlier interception or early from uh, Anthony Brown to uh, um, did they have another turnover where Washington got Washington had their opportunities in the first half. And then Oregon just made sure they had absolutely nothing in the second and uh, the the decision by Jimmy Lake to punt with two minutes left in a one score, I, it, it was just Mario Cristobal looked at really good at the end of that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I was shocked by that decision to punt. But uh, really all day, the Washington offense started with pretty good field position and, and wasn't able to do anything with it. And we know Washington's problems on the offensive side of the ball are well documented. They go back to the beginning of the year. But uh even even before Oregon pulled away right at the end, maybe it was in the third quarter or the start of the fourth, like Washington was was threatening to really get back in the game. And I think at that point, Oregon had almost double the amount of yards of yeah. offense they did. So despite how how close it may have gotten at the end, it really didn't feel that way. I find it so funny that they still wanted to punch that touchdown in at the end and then they just kind of <laughs> bobbled it and um Again, Oregon's a really good team. They're number three in the country. They're in line to make the playoff if things keep going. But like that, if that's not a microcosm of like we were winning, we tried to make it look more impressive. We couldn't quite do it, but what's it matter? On to next week. And and now they do have Washington State. And honestly, this isn't a game that I'm super interested in. Like Washington State's a good team. Like they've actually played really well post Rolovich. Um but I mean, like there's, you know, there's been no stupid recruiting quotes for us to talk about all week that have really juiced this thing going for us. Yeah. And r- real quick, going back to the end of the Washington game, 
do you think they wanted to score that touchdown more uh, for the final score or because they were playing Washington? What would have the final score been? Oh, so I just mean uh, just to make themselves look good for oh, the playoff yeah. or, or to punch one in on Washington. Oh, I think probably more to punch one in on Washington. I mean, you saw those quotes that I ran from Chris Ball post game. They uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's there's certainly no blood lost. Uh, uh, again, and I thought that played in Chris Paul's hands perfectly because all week he was able to basically play the role of like the polite politician and leader of, you know, we're just taking this one. We're worried about the game. We're not worried about any of that outside stuff. And then and then you have like four players with like 100,000 Instagram followers live streaming your whole post game speech where you're just dropping F-bombs here or there. And and frankly, the stuff that I printed wasn't even like the most like explosive of all of all the things. Just... I, th- I think he handled that perfectly. He was able to to be the calm, uh, calm guy. He took the high road during the week, and then uh, and then let it all out after the game. But did, did get did back you, to? Oh, I was I was just I was just going to ask a quick question. Like, did you guys have? I, I guess I guess there would have been like Periscope and that sort of thing towards the tail end of your career. But like, I can't imagine that you guys were quite yet live streaming your your, your post games, were you? Well, I, I feel like mo- most of the live streamable post games happened earlier in my career, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, but, that's probably true. <laughs> yeah, I think it was towards the end of my time, there were a couple NFL teams who got in trouble for that. Where Wasn't that Anthony uh, Brown's first big thing with the Steelers? Was he uh, he was live streaming uh, Mike Tomlin's like post game? I think oh, I, I think I think that was it. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, that's just like. I'm I'm really I kind of went down the message board rabbit hole with that because at first I was like oh man like these guys are going to be in trouble and then I was like like what if what if he told them to like to do it like as like his subtle like as like a subtle way of like getting that out there because I mean I'm sure like I'm sure they're able to like use that clip as like sound bites for recruiting shit down the road (laughs) (laughs) yeah I hard to say if he told him to do it, but I, I don't think he's too broken up about that. Yeah. Yeah. No, not at all. Uh, speaking of broken up, if you hit a 60 yard field goal in one game and then happen to miss a chip shot to win the game, how would you be feeling afterwards? That is really tough because to all your teammates and coaches with everything going on, you know, you got to be upset. You let the team down, but hitting a a 60 yard field goal is something not a lot of people have done at any level of football but but especially not at the college level so i i had to think that he was he was probably feeling pretty good after the game even with the uh the unfortunate miss in overtime yeah for for those not uh uh um aware of this one it was the oregon state game uh everett hayes their kicker he hit a 60 yard field goal basically at the end of the regulation to to put it into overtime so this kid had to have been over the moon and then Colorado ends up winning the game in overtime after he had missed like a, I think it was like a 30 yarder or so. That's gotta be a pretty tough one to swallow after, after, uh, after that, especially a long trip home, right? Yeah. That's, it's really unfortunate for Oregon state because they've done so many good things this year. And, and you really felt like the program turned a bit of a corner and, you know, maybe, maybe it's not their year. Maybe next year is the year where they really take that step. Um, but I, I'm sure Jonathan Smith will have his guys all all hyped up to play Oregon if they come down to uh, to that game with the opportunity to not only become bowl eligible but to knock their bitter rival out of the playoff race. 
I, I thought it was fascinating to see. You saw two coordinator firings this week in the Pac-12. You saw Jimmy Lake's firing of their offensive coordinator, which is frankly something that probably should have happened after the Montana State game. Or sorry, after the Montana game. Oh, my God. I really butchered <laughs> that one. Um, <laughs> you get that one wrong. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, go Grizz. I'm sorry. Um, and then this, then this week you also saw Oregon State fire their defensive coordinator, um, which I thought – was a very proactive move by Jonathan Smith and shows shows that they are expecting more for themselves other than just getting this bowl eligibility. Because I I don't know if like the the pitchforks were out there for Oregon State to like start firing people from its staff. I think there's a lot of people that are still like pretty happy that they're like around this spot and those sorts of things. Like I wasn't ready for them to do a midseason firing, but I think by doing that it really sends a message and, and says that they're they're looking to uh really kind of have higher expectations and losing those types of games over and over again. Yeah. I, I think that really says a lot about the fact that Jonathan Smith feels like they can win now. Um, and, and on the Washington side, uh, like you said, that probably should have happened a lot earlier uh, in the year, but who knows? They, they might have a head coach firing coming up too. So that's, that's definitely something to keep an eye on. There's some rumblings around that. Oregon's up to number three now. That's, we're here <laughs> somehow it's it it almost doesn't feel real but here we are again i don't think that this has looked like the number three team in the comp in the country but i don't think anyone has an argument really against it now at this point and especially you know when when michigan state was ahead of them last week and then michigan state go has and go goes ahead and loses this week like things usually eventually take care of themselves and, and right now organs just doing what they need to do and, and by keeping themselves in this discussion yeah, it kind of just feels like everything has has fallen into place for them. It doesn't feel like they've forcefully cracked into the top four and and made some sort of big statement. But they just they keep winning, whether it's whether it's against a good team, a bad team, close game, blowout. They've they've really had it all happen this year. The Washington State just seems like one of those weird teams that's always going to like you don't really expect much out of them, but then they always like just have the ability to like catch you or, or just provide some sort of twist in, in, in when uh, you guys play them. They seem like they're always a team with nothing to lose somehow. Like no matter how well or poorly their season's <laughs> going, it feels like they're just a total wild card. And yeah. that is probably the meanest fans of anywhere in the Pac-12. Really? Like, yeah, there were, I won't, I won't repeat specifics, but there were some some very vulgar comments made to players a bit more so than we've seen in other stadiums. I do remember, I think it was either Keenan or Devin Allen got like a bottle thrown at them when they scored a touchdown in, in 2014 when you guys were playing out there. Yeah, I think it was Devin Allen. You guys almost lost that game. It was, it was terrifying. I also, <laughs> funny funny story from that game. That was uh, after I had played earlier in the season and, and Matt Wogan came back and took the spot over. I was just hanging out, shooting the shit on the sideline and something funny came on the video board and, and I was talking to Devin Melendez about it. We were just laughing and, and Tom Osborne walks by. I don't know. He's like, just just cusses me out. He's like, are you kidding me? We're here on the road in a close game and you're over here <laughs> laughing. You're not engaged with your team. I, I might be putting you in the game. And at that point, I was like, come on, <laughs> you're, you're not putting me in the game. I think we both know that. Uh, but that, that was pretty funny. What, what a terrible threat. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna give you playing time if you don't knock this shit off. <laughs> oh uh, man. So uh I covered the Timbers game on Sunday. That's the first uh Timbers game I've covered in like six or seven years. Uh I had a really good time. Like it was kind of lonely there. It was just like me and Annie Peterson from the AP covering the game, but uh and it was kind of funny because it was a relatively meaningless game for them because despite them being terrible for much of the year they've they somehow came into this game with the fourth spot in the playoffs completely locked up and they'll be playing minnesota here in two weeks and uh i just had a really nice time you say like a time at the pitch a time at the park a time at the field like what what, what would i say here i had a nice time out at the, the stadium i, think I, stadium, I don't really I, go yeah. stadium yeah but it's, it's Providence Park. But when I say park, that sounds more like baseball. I digress. It it does. It does. We'll do we'll do but, a whole, uh, we'll do a whole sixty minutes on this sometime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the the Timbers have looked awesome. They've had a, an unbelievable run to close the season, and despite the struggles early on, they're they're a team with a lot of talent. Um, they got, they got a lot of really talented midfielders, and and they're really just scoring goals and. And the defense has stepped up a lot. Um, early in the year, there were a lot of a lot of plays where balls were getting played in over the top, or corners or free kicks were coming in, and and the defense just looked out of position and weren't able to deal with it. But they they really tightened it up, and and I'm excited to see where they go heading into the postseason. I I think they I think they should be aiming for a championship again. Yeah, I was I was really impressed with uh, just the way that they were able to basically their transition from defense to offense and then kind of their breakout. I'm, I'm using hockey terms here, so I don't know if this is actually correct soccer terminology, but just basically their, their redirection encounters were uh, exceptional in that game. It, it just didn't really seem like that Austin had um, any sort of sustained attack in, in that one. And which is impressive because coming into that, I think Austin had outscored Portland seven to two in the two games that they played prior. So um, really nice for them to get through that, uh, get through that game and, and go into this little break with a momentum boost. Um, now I got to ask you one last question before we get to, we, we have Kale Wambacher from the Hillsboro hops. Uh, that's our interview today. But, uh, before we get into that, did you see, did you see Dame's comments about getting, not getting the calls? I did. I did. Kind of a bad look, right? I, yeah, that just doesn't seem like a, a public facing comment. Well, okay. Me. So I'll, I'll give him credit. I think that because what he had, I think two free throw attempts all, that entire, what was it? Anyways, he, he had very minimal free throw attempts and it was like, okay, you can make an argument here. But then he said something to the tune of like, I've never been that guy that was like trying to get those types of like drawing those like three point fouls where the guy's jumping into you. And if you say anything in like the NBA Twitter world, you got to make sure like it's true right away or else there's going to be a billion videos out there to, to go against it. And I saw, uh, I saw a lot of those today. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's not the worst guy who tries to do that, but yeah, he's not, he's not like, he's not like Trey or somebody who like just completely pulls up and like transition and like takes like the back hit off of somebody. Yeah. It, it, I get where I get why he's so frustrated though. It, it does seem like, I, I understand the rule change where on jump shots, you can't jump out of your motion of your shot just to jump into a defender when you get them up in the air to get a foul. But it seems like on a lot of drives to the basket, they're letting a lot more physicality go. And kind, kind of does, like that, like that pinballing almost. 
Yeah, and it does seem I don't know. I mean, Dame's obviously struggling shooting jumpers, but it kind of does look like he's not finishing some of those plays at the rim that he normally does. And he's so good at using his body down there. And it's a little surprising. And and that wouldn't shock me if uh, the officiating is affecting him there. Well, I, I feel like this is one of those. And granted, like the, the Blazers do have a history of starting slow and then picking things up like around the all-star break. But I think they're five and six right now as we're recording this. Uh, Dame struggling. There's an investigation, an internal investigation going on about Neil Olshay. Like this feels like one of those ones where another bad month could really just turn this into like one of those off seasons if things don't turn around here quickly. Yeah, really hoping that doesn't happen. And I think it's quite ironic that after all the summer discussions about Dame needing help, that he's really struggled um, the first ten games of the season, and that some other guys are really stepping up like Robert Covington's yeah. given good minutes. He's shooting well. Norman Powell has been unbelievable. And obviously you don't want Dame to stop shooting ever. Cause this, obviously this is temporary, but I just wish Powell would shoot more. I mean, he's shooting over 50% from the field around 44 from three. And, and he just looks amazing out there. The the athletic put out a graphic. I think it was a couple days ago and I forget the exact thing. So forgive me, but it was basically that Powell was essentially like the most efficient scorer for at his position based on minutes right now. in like an ent- entire league. <laughs> yeah. And that's like what I was just referring to is something that I thought last year too. There were some times in the playoffs where Powell's shooting like, six for eight in the first half and i'm like don't don't stop shooting right like i know i know you want to feed dame but like if he's hot just go with him well it it, seems like it's such a weird hierarchy on that team though too because i mean they have like dame and cj are already both just like shoot all the time type players like i imagine like especially a vet like powell uh who was a pretty gifted offensive player before he came over here like that's gotta be tough to kind of like find like your spot on a team like that yeah, I think it's a lot different when your other players who are vying for shots are kind of a change of pace in the way the game's being played. Like, you know, if you have someone who's more of a traditional wing or you have a big man and you're looking to get the ball inside, uh, it's a little easier to get people those shots when you're changing up the pace versus Powell is is so similar to CJ and so similar to Dame where if some people are struggling shooting, um, Powell does does similar things offensively. So sometimes you want to be able to change it up and, and maybe throw it into Nurkic, which I feel like has not been happening as, as much as it had been in the past. Hey, I really like your piece on uh, the site today. Uh, for people who uh, haven't checked it out, Aiden did a, a piece on i5corridor.com about Camden Lewis's pretty uh, remarkable turnaround this year. Um, I, again, you and I both saw him drill that 46 yarder into the win at Husky stadium. I, the kid's kind of almost automatic at this point, which is the most amazing thing I think I've said in my, in all my years covering this team. Yeah. He's that, that kick into the wind was incredible. Uh, Husky stadiums. And for those who don't know, is a notoriously tough place to kick with the, the wind coming in off the lake and it, it kind of swirls and you, you can never quite tell where it's going, but, Super impressed by that. Uh, super impressed by how he's been kicking all year. He looks really confident. He looks like he he looks like he now believes he's as good as he is, which can sometimes be a challenge. 
and he's currently tied with my uh, all-time Oregon record of nine straight field goals made. So next Oof. next one that's good, down it goes. Oh, so I, I, I see why you wrote the piece this week. It, it, it all kind of makes sense now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's good timing, but yeah, uh, yeah, a little yeah. a, a little jinx, a little SI cover jinx. I I, I get it, you know. You get... Well, <laughs> yeah, hey, I'm... that uh, that piece is for free on i five corridor dot com. Um, it's actually going to be a good week. We got some basketball content up there this week. Please please check it out if you're so inclined. And uh, now uh, here comes K L Wambacher from the Hillsboro Hops. Hey, and now on the I-5 Corridor podcast, it's Kale Wambacher, GM of the Hillsborough Hops. We are here in the off- in his office at Ron Tonkin Stadium, and basically the whole reason I wanted to do this is to see what's happening at a baseball stadium in, in November, and it's uh, it's hopping out there, Not, pardon the pun, but it's it's pretty busy out there. What, what's going on right now? Um, a lot of what's going on right now is we're just starting to gear up for 2022. Uh, being uh, Going from a short season team to a full season team, we're now only five months away from opening day, Jeez. almost almost to the day. So I'm um, doing a lot of ticket renewals, season ticket renewals, mini plan renewals, a lot of marketing plans for what our campaign's going to look like, developing a lot of our promotional nights, Star Wars night, Marvel night, firework nights. Um, so we've got a we've got a great team here that that is putting in the work that we need to to have a successful 2022. This this is a fun one for me because one of like my first beats in Portland was when I was working out at the Hillsboro Argus with like Jeff Smith and Dan Edel and we got to kind of put together the pieces as you guys were building this thing and uh, cover that first season with the Hops and that was eight years ago now or almost nine years ago now at this point you guys are eight seasons in you guys have won multiple. What is it? Three, three championships, three championships. Uh, you guys survived the pandemic. It seems like things are going pretty well for you. Like, like I, I don't know if you're like the nostalgic type, but like one, did that go by really quick? And like, can you kind of put that all in perspective after, you know, moving over from Yakima back like you guys did, did 13 or eight years ago? Yeah. I mean, first off, like what a crew that was, huh? You and Dan and, and uh, <laughs> Jeff. I mean, when I look back at, the three of you guys and just to see your careers blossom and um i know you guys had a lot of fun together and we had fun it was, know, good. With, it was a good time with you guys covering us it was great um and I, I think you know a lot of your work back in the day we had a lot of coverage back then from a media perspective and i think it really helped us it helped make us the baseball team in town and, and that was one of our primary goals was there's a basketball team in town a soccer team in town a hockey team in town and now there's a baseball team back in town and um, and, and the media coverage we had and the great job you guys did, I think, really helped us um, elevate our brand quickly, um, give us credibility. But looking back, I mean, um, it, there, there are times where it seems like it was yesterday and there are times it feel like it was 20 years ago. Um, the, I think to see the, the fan base we've been able to continue to grow, it really hit us during the pandemic when, when our season was canceled and we had to figure out how we were gonna survive financially, the only option we had was to not refund money. We had a lot of money that we had collected from season ticket holders, sponsors, mini plan holders, groups um, for the 2020 season. And if we had to refund a lot of that money, it would have put us out of business. Really? And we had 96% of season ticket holders that said, nope, don't need a refund, let's push it, push it forward. And, and truthfully, that saved us. It saved us financially, but it also made us realize how much support we've built and how much people like us in this community. To, to make that decision and then to 
broadcast that decision to your season ticket holders. Like, how tough was that? I imagine that had to have been the most stressful decision that you've had to make as as GM here. Yeah, I mean, the decision was easy because we didn't have a choice. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, um, you know, we had spent, the, the way our business works, we collect a lot of revenue in the fall and the winter, and then we have to spend it on stuff getting ready for the season, whether that's staffing, it's you know, goods and services, it's we're, we're, we're spending that money gearing up for the right. season. So most of our money is spent before opening day. So when, whenever we have something happen during the season, um, the revenue we have during the season just kind of keeps us going. And so the timing of when that happened in March, you know, our season's starting in two months. Right. And, and, and so a lot of that money had already been spent. So we don't have it sitting in our bank account to be able to refund people. Do, do you guys get any sort of money with the affiliation with, with the, the Diamondbacks or is nope. it all self-sustained? It's you... all, all self-sustained. Okay. Yep. Yep. So, so for us, you know, to, to, to look at our bank account at that, at that moment and the season didn't get canceled until May, I believe end of May. So again, we're two weeks away from what would have been opening day. Jeez. Um, and, and to, we basically went out to our season ticket holders and we just said, you know, we need your help. Um, this is a this is going to be a huge challenge for us, but we think we can get there if we can push money to twenty twenty one, and and the overwhelming support was yep no problem no problem we got you. Um, we even had a few people that paid in advance you know that hadn't right. paid us yet, but then wrote us a check knowing that there weren't going to be any games in twenty twenty. We had some sponsors that did the same thing that kind of kept their obligation for twenty twenty even though we wouldn't have games. Um, and then the other thing that saved us was then going into 2021, we were going to have a full season. So we were right. making the shift from a short season A to a, to a full season team. So it gave us another 30 plus games. So that allowed us to go back and collect more revenue for the additional games. And that gave us the cash flow to get through the fall. When did you guys officially get the notice that you were going to be a club that was getting promoted to, to full season? Officially, we didn't get it until early December of 2020. Right. Um, but we... We had heard what was going to happen. We kind of knew there was going to be a shift. We knew short season baseball was going away probably in the summer of 2020 officially. Um, and we knew it was going down to 120 teams, all full season clubs. So we just didn't know how many games we were going to be at or if we were going to be a low A or a high A team. So we didn't find that out until December. When you kind of start hearing rumors that they're doing away with short season, even though, I mean, it's no secret that you guys have done well here. I think this is... I mean, you can come to the ballpark and see it, but also just kind of some of the juice you guys have online. Like, it's, it's a brand. I I don't think I was worried that you guys were going to get kind of lost in that that downsizing, but how how were you kind of going through that process? Were you ever worried at all that, that you guys might not make it? Or? I, our, our owners were probably a little bit more nervous than I, than <laughs> I was, um, mainly because a lot of what helped teams survive was the relationship you had with your major league club. Major league clubs were given the option to rank their affiliates and try to lobby to keep some of their affiliates. And we had been with the Diamondbacks at that time for about 18, 19, 20 years, somewhere in that range. So we had some pretty deep relationships there. So we were able to reach out to them and, and just kind of, you know, take a little pulse of, hey, right. we good? <laughs> you know, and they kept repeatedly saying, KL, we love you guys. We love what you do for players. Um, you know, you're part of you're a big part of our player development system. So we're going to do everything we can to to make sure you you survive. So we were definitely you know there's there's that 
there's always that nervousness until you get the final answer. You hear short season is gone and you're a short season team, then there's got to be a spot for you somewhere else. Right. And so a lot of time we spent was just doing the math of, okay, here are 30 triple-A teams, 30 double-A teams, 30 high-A teams, 30 low-A teams. Does the math work to have A teams that are in the Northwest League currently to move into high A. What what teams have to get out of high A or low A right. to make room for for us? So it was, a, it, was a, it was kind of a puzzle that we were trying to play where we had no information from Major League Baseball what was going to happen. From just a, a overall operation standpoint, you guys add 30, 30 home games or whatever it was. How much more just pre-scheduling did you guys have to do like before the season started just to like go from a, a, a program that had essentially doubling the amount of home games you guys do? Yeah, I mean, last year, going into the year, we just had no idea what to expect. Right. I mean, at the time we had the news of what our season was going to look like, we still couldn't have fans really. In, in Oregon, we were one of the only states that wasn't allowing fans. I mean, the Blazers finished their season oh, with, right. without fans. God, that feels like so long ago now. At this yeah. point. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so we were, we were a little nervous. I mean, um, and, and then finally when things cleared a little bit and we were allowed 15%, you know, we felt a little bit better. But we knew it wouldn't take much to, to have eight or 900 people in here. I right. mean, we, could, we could operate that in our sleep. Um, and so, in a way, it was it was kind of a po- we turned it into a positive of being able to ramp back up after a full season off, after a full um, year off, you know, kind of ramp and ease back into it, um, you know. And then we had challenges with with hiring staff and and you know safety issues, and so there's a whole slew of challenges. So in a way, I think it was helpful to start at 15% and then be able to ramp up from there, and then and then obviously we finished at 100%, which when we did budgeting, we, we thought in Oregon, we'd only get to maybe 50% capacity um, in July, and we got to 100. So um, it turned out to be a, a very successful year. How uh, how close did you end up getting with the Canadians throughout the year? <laughs> yeah, I mean... Cause, cause, it, like that, that, so that was a story that I kind of wanted to write at The Athletic at one point in the summer, and then things didn't go that way. But the backstory is you guys shared this facility the entire season with the Vancouver Canadians, so... Not only was there more baseball for you guys here, but I'm assuming just about every night of the week there was a ball game going on here. Yeah, yeah, we had 120. We ended up having because we moved a couple of games from Eugene, so we had 122 <laughs> oh professional baseball yeah. games on our field, basically every day of the week from May to end of September. Other than Monday, there was a baseball game here. It was crazy, um, and and I'm still a little surprised that story really never got told. Um, um, we know we, we knew those guys pretty well. We've known Andy Dunn, their president, for a long time. Um, great guy. I've known him. We've been friends. Uh, and then Tom Backmeyer, who used to be their GM in Lancaster, Lancaster didn't make the cut, so they moved Tom up here to help run that franchise. And um, Steph Ellis, who works for Vancouver, they moved her down from Canada, uh, and um, we've known her for, for a number of years too. So it was cool having him in town. Um, it was it was a drain. I yeah. Mean, um, not for me personally, um, but for our food and beverage team, and for our grounds crew that, that is managed by the city. Um, you know, they were literally here every night. I mean, um, food and beverage, whether there's 200 people in the building or 5,000 fans in the building, you're still doing catering. You're still staffing up. You're still your managers are here. Um, Mondays are typically their day to reset, so you're getting in your deliveries, and so so food and beverage was here every single day from from April 
to the end of the season. Jeez. What what did they do for housing? Did they kind of just do so, like how much how how much logistics did you guys have to play? And we didn't of... we didn't have to do too much because they were they moved their um, they had a staff here they had oh, a small okay. staff here so they 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 did a lot of their coordination with housing. Um, they they did a deal with a with a hotel mainly for the player okay. housing and the Blue Jays paid for most of that. Um, the executive stayed in apartments for most of the summer. Uh, one was right by a train, so he, he got, woke up every every morning at five a.m. I think, but um, attack the day, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we didn't have to do a lot of logistics for them. I mean, we turned over bus contacts to them, and we just helped them get set up. Um, the city was was great accommodating them. I, I think our situation was unique, where we have the football stadium next door, so they were able to use locker rooms in the football stadium to be able to stay in there all season. Right. So it was kind of like a home clubhouse. Like, like you have your space and things. And yep. And especially with all the COVID protocols with MLB, MLB did not want us moving in and out of our yeah. clubhouse sharing sharing with them. That was I. Um, I went to the Portland State opener over at uh, the football stadium. Uh, was that September? first week of September and it was one of the most bizarre scenes that I've seen because not only was it like the Bruce Barnum buying everyone beer <laughs> but I think the Canadians were just getting ready to play a game or something so there's guys walking around in kind of like baseball cleats and like their stuff and it was it was just an awesomely bizarre Saturday afternoon yeah <laughs> and I imagine you probably had multiple moments like that throughout this this summer yeah I mean between high school graduations and you know just a lot of the stuff that happens on the complex that uses the football stadium and the baseball stadium is tied to it, but can be independent. Um, there, there were some definitely some crossover challenges, and I think as we as we go forward, we're trying to find ways to. When when we built the stadium, it made a lot of sense to match up with the football stadium, share the concourse, and share some of the amenities. But as we move forward, it's it's going to be more and more important for us to kind of stand alone and, and be our own operation. What what can I, I know? There's there's stuff that you guys can't announce yet, and, and whatnot as that that goes along with becoming uh, full season single A and and kind of your guys' future. But like, what what can you share a little bit about what the future kind of the next steps are for this program? It's definitely an exciting future. I mean, the the shift to now being aligned with MLB versus being part of minor league baseball has been pretty exciting. And we were pretty bullish on it from the start. Um, there were a lot of minor league operators that felt like it was a hostile takeover. And, you know, you could make the argument maybe it was. But, um, you know, we needed to make some changes within minor league baseball. And um, the, the power that MLB has and the, and the tables that they sit at from a national advertiser standpoint, national broadcast standpoint, um, makes a lot of sense to grow minor league baseball. They're going to open up a lot of doors for us, and I think they're going to professionalize minor league baseball um, like, like we'd like to see it professionalized. Um, so we're really excited about it, but part of what we had to agree to is new facility standards that hadn't been updated since 1990. And, and so by 2024, um, there are some modifications that we're going to have to make that are pretty significant that all have to do with player health and wellness. So we're not, they're not making us build suites and, and build a lot of fan amenities. Um, they want the player experience to be a lot more hmm. modernized and, and a lot better, which, which is overdue in, in, in my opinion. So, you know, it's probably at least five to 10 million, maybe more, just to make the, the modifications to to meet the new MLB standards. And so we've, we're having conversations with the city of, if we've got to invest money into this facility, let's look long-term. If we're gonna kind of open up the door, so to speak, let's let's look at what 
we're going to need for the next 20, 30 years, not only for our franchise, but for the community and for the metro area. And so we're looking at, you know, what does an outdoor entertainment facility look like? Like a year-round premium outdoor entertainment mm-hmm. facility that could host concerts and community festivals and corporate rentals, Division One baseball, you know, national tournaments that we could recruit to town because we have one of the best facilities in the country. So we've got pretty pretty big ambitions of what we want to do and what we want this facility to look like in the future. Well, and, and you guys have already, I mean, the facility is already to a point where, you know, Arizona trusted you guys with Dansby Swanson for mm-hmm. multiple months. Uh, he just won the World Series with the Atlanta Braves, and I, I just wanted to pick your brain a little bit. Do you have any good Dan, Dansby stories from his time with you guys? Dansby was incredible. I mean, um, we couldn't be more happier for him because he's the type of player that he just he he does things the right way. He's a good teammate. Um, he works his tail off. You know, he's he's athletic, but he he's not going to wow you with you know his athletic prowess. I mean, he just the the bigger the moment, Dansby is a better player. And when he was here, people thought I was crazy, but I comped him to Derek Jeter and. Hmm mainly because the intangibles he brings, like the way he runs to his position is different than any player I'd right. seen. The way he puts his arm around a teammate was different than anything I'd seen. He, he came into a clubhouse in mid-August. This clubhouse had been established, and he walks in, and day two, he's the leader of the team. Hmm. I mean, and he didn't come in saying, I'm the leader, and follow me, just the way he went about his business and the way he treated his teammates. Um, he was just, he was different. And... We had uh, a moment in a playoff game in 2015 where uh, it was a tie game where we were down and running. It was a tie game and one out, and they walked the bases loaded, and Dansby's on deck. So Dansby comes to the plate. Everyone in the ballpark knew he was going to win this game um, because that's just the type of player he is. The bigger the moment, that's where Dansby comes up. Um, my favorite story is the day he arrived – uh, 2015 gets assigned here. You know, it's kind of a whirlwind of a day for him. We've got the AP here, national media covering his first game. We had MLB authenticators here authenticating. Oh, really? You know, the game ball and his bat and his jersey. And, and had you guys had anything like that? Nothing before? even close. Okay. Nothing even close. Um, I I had never even known there was an MLB authenticator that would fly in from New York and how do you get that job I want that job man yeah like this was this was the ball yeah Yeah. it was great I mean they gave us an inventory list of all the stuff we had to have that they were going to (laughs) authenticate that day Um, and he put the little stickers on it and it was pretty pretty neat neat uh, but after the game you know it's a whirlwind of a day Dansby's doing all these interviews he plays in the game got his first hit and after the game there was probably at least a section full of people three four hundred people i would bet out in out in right field that stuck around and wanted his autograph so he celebrated the team goes back onto the field and he started signing autographs and he was there for probably 20 minutes so i walked out and said hey dan it's uh, been a long day you know we'll cut the cut the line off here and you can go shower and and, and we'll get you there to, um, to your uh, accommodations he's like no okay I'm, I'm good i got nowhere to be i'm like all right cool well i'll, I'll keep checking on you and about 40 minutes go by and i walk out there again and same still same going, thing yeah and he's still going he signed for every single person and it was one of those where he didn't just never look up and just sign 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 
he would engage with almost every person. And if it was a kid, he'd ask him, do you play baseball? What position do you play? He'd take a picture with them. Um, he was the most engaging player with fans I've ever seen. So to see him a fan favorite in Atlanta, no surprise. The, it, it always amazes me, like, the, the level of maturity of, of some of those guys in that position that almost they know and accept the responsibility of that position that they put in. Like, I'm the number one pick. People are coming out to see this. Like, mm-hmm. it, it seems like that he really kind of got that point of kind of the perfect professionalism uh, to the job he he acted like a major leaguer without having an ego of a major leaguer like he just he got it yeah he 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 understood that he's building a fan base whether he's in hillsborough or double a or the big leagues or wherever he is he's building dansby fans and and we have people all the time coming up to us you know i remember when dansby played here you know we got an autograph from him and and he, he didn't just do that opening day signing. He would sign for every single person every single night. Hmm. Uh, and I've never seen a player do that. I mean, generally players will go out for, you know, 10 minutes or so and, and, and you know, kind of and, and be nice to the fans and engage a little bit. But I've never seen someone do it to the level Dansby did. You've been doing this a very long time. And, and obviously for people who don't know, like the – the responsibilities for a GM and for a minor league program is, is different than, than an MLB franchise. But for as long as you've been doing this, can you kind of tell like pretty quickly if like an like if a guy has it or if they're going to be one that, you know, like I might want to like hold on to a couple pieces of this guy's memorabilia for, you know, later on. Absolutely. Uh, it, it's easier with the college guys, the, the, you know, guys that played at a big D one program for two or three years. It's, it's much easier to tell if they've got it. It's a little harder with the younger players, especially the Latin players that might be... Because you'll, you'll get 19, some like 18, 20, 19-year-olds yeah. coming through here, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. when we're short season, we get 18, 19-year-olds. And there's so much maturity that happens between 18 and 22 that those guys are a lot harder for me to project. But, um, you know, we had... Um, I mean, we've had some players recently that Dalton Varsha, who who had a really nice year with the Diamondbacks this year. He was another guy who's a catcher, super athletic. He could run, he could hit... Um, another guy that got bigger when the moment got bigger. And I think at this level, especially high A now, the talent, everyone's going to be talented. Everyone's right. going to be able to hit the ball a long way. Everyone's going to be able to you know, field well and have good hands and good feet. And so, so the talent is, is going to be really good. It's the mental makeup and it's how you treat your teammates. It's, it's all those intangibles that is going to determine whether a guy's going to make it or not. We've had some guys come through here that you thought skill-wise were phenomenal. Jimmy Scherfe, great example, closer at Oregon. Former Oregon Duck. Former Duck, and, and, and had an outstanding career in the minor leagues. Made the big leagues and pitched pretty good. Um, you know, But he just never stuck in the big yeah, leagues he's, yet. He's still, he's still bouncing around. He's a great guy. Uh, we love we love Scherfe. Um, you know, but but sometimes there's it's it's it doesn't come down to a skill thing when you get to the major leagues. It's there's a there's a mental component to that where you have to be a competitor and you have to, you know, look at across the, the diamond and I'm gonna win. And and that's the spirit that Dansby had. That's the spirit Dalton Varshow has. Um, Paven Smith. Um, we, we, we've had some pitchers now make the big leagues, like um, Taylor Clark. Mm. You know, Taylor was that way when he played here. He didn't give up a run the entire season. He only pitched 22 innings. He was on a pitch count. But, um, you know, he gets to the big leagues, and he's having some moderate success. He's, I think he's going to get better next year. 
he's starting to figure it out, but he has that mental makeup of I'm going to compete and I'm going to win. What uh, which ball player made you fall in love with baseball? Uh, Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah. Uh, growing up in Tacoma and being a being a Mariners fan and you know still wearing my hat backwards as a, as a result of of Griffey, but. Um, I was a big basketball NBA fan with the Sonics, yeah. so so it was more. I was more Sean Kemp, Gary Payton, Detlef Schrepp, yeah. Sam Perkins, um, than, than a baseball person. But um, but definitely, the, you know, the Mariners back in the in the in the '90s with with Griffey and and J, I love Jay Buhner, um, you know Edgar Martinez a little bit, but it was more of like a Mike Cameron, yeah, um, yeah, more, Mike Cameron Griffey fan. So so how do you how do you go from being a like big time Sonics fan to, to choosing a life in baseball? Um, they I was blessed to get an internship in two thousand one, so I was going to college in Central Washington, and and um, I was either going to go home to Tacoma and try to get an internship with the AAA team there, or stay at school and get an internship in Yakima and family friend knew the GM so they got me an introduction and the GM there Bob Romero gave me a shot uh, hired me as an intern and, and I just worked my tail off and was able to get a full-time job and and then from there just kind of things just fell into place I, I, I took advantage of every opportunity and tried to outwork the people around me I was never the smartest person by a long shot um, you know so I just relied on on putting in extra effort and going above and beyond and you know, trying to be a good person, trying to be a good teammate, and um, you know, just try to do things the right way, and and things fell into place. What's a what's a summer like as a as an intern in Yakima? Hot. Yeah, it was hot. <laughs> <laughs> it was hot. Um, you know, it was fun. I mean, we we always had small staffs there, so we'd always have like four or five people in the front office, right. including interns. Some years we had four, including interns one year. Um, so you you get to know each other really well. It's it's it, it, you work a lot. I mean, you're there at. 8 a.m. and you're going home at 11 o'clock at night or 11:30 after a couple beers. So, you know it's it's a long day, it's a long summer, but it's you know 20 years ago when we did this, it was the grind and right. you embraced the grind and you you lived for the grind and and that was you know it's it's so different now that you know now the term is work life balance. The term used to be grind, right? And, and and we all we all love to be grinders. We, we we enjoyed the extra work and we enjoyed being at the ballpark every day, all day. Um, we just loved it. We used to have a term. It's not a job. It's not a career. It's a lifestyle. And 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 all of us, we just we've always embraced the the lifestyle aspect of it. I mean, ultimately, like there was there was evidence that this was the right move well before the pandemic, but. Um, the move from Yakima to Hillsboro, I, I imagine if you guys had stayed in Yakima during all this, probably less chance you guys are still, still we, around. We wouldn't be here. Yeah. yeah, we wouldn't be here. There, there's, there's, our owners and, and me have talked about this numerous times about, you know, we're so thankful that we, we, we got to Hillsboro. And nothing against Yakima, like it's a great city and great people, but it was one of the smallest markets in baseball. And, and, and the ballpark was a glorified high school facility that was 20 years old. Yeah. I mean, there's just no way that Yakima would have made the cut. I play I, I play in a, a hockey tournament out there every winter. It's at uh, the rink that's like right behind that Walmart. That uh, It's about I'm familiar. three quarters the size of a regular rink. Yeah. I've been about 30 feet off sides. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they got this Zamboni that comes through that I think the smoke, the exhaust clears out by about the third period. And you could practically hit a puck to our old ballpark from there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, we've, it's always a great time, but at no point was I ever like, how the hell does a, a minor league fan franchise sustain here? Just because yeah. it's kind of, I mean, 
sizable town in its own right, but it's it's out in, out in the middle of nowhere a bit. Whereas here, you know, you're drawing on Hills Hillsborough itself is about two hundred thousand, and then you got Portland and everything. And I mean, our owners they bought the team in '99 and they never made a profit in Yakima. They subsidized the team pretty much every year we were there. But um, I think the great thing is that's their history. They've never been in this to make money. Right. They've always been in it for the baseball aspect of it. And that's what's allowed us to really build a good product here is we're not bottom line driven. We, 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 as long as they break even, they're happy. Um, so, you know, to, to be able to operate a franchise where you're not so bottom line driven, um, you're able to make decisions for the future and make decisions for the fan experience. And I think that's, that's really, really helped us. Um, how, how much, how much did you guys change? From what you, how how you were operating there to when you come here, we we definitely had to think bigger. Yeah. I mean, you know, for example, we had to up our inventory too. For our opening day in Hillsborough, we did more in merchandise sales than we did in a calendar year in Yakima <laughs> in 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 one game. <laughs> Um, so it was I, I definitely, remember when you guys did the first like logo and hat unveiling. We went out to your. Did you guys used to have that office at yeah, like a rental station? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, it's. You know, it's. A, a lot of our business is just people. It, it's. You know, it's making sure the food's good, making sure people can get what they need in a timely fashion, making sure people are friendly in the ballpark, uh, making sure people have fun. It's fun promotions. It's good music. Um, you know, a clean venue. So a lot of those principles are going to be the same and no matter what market we're in. I think the biggest adjustment for us was was just it's what do you do with the additional resources? Do you, do you pocket them? Do you put it back into the fan experience? Do you invest in the team or in the ballpark? I mean, we've put about a million dollars into the ballpark already. Um, so the, the mentality we developed in Yakima of, of more surviving financially we're able to bring that mindset here and not say, okay, now we got to soak every profit out and distribute it to owners. Now we can be like, okay, well, let's, if we're going to make money, let's reinvest it into the, into the product, into the facility, into right. the community. Uh, we've donated, I think, close to a million dollars into the community since we, since we moved here as well. Cash, not just ticket giveaways. Um, so those are things we're really proud of is, is, you know, being able to, to put resources that we generate, put it back into the community. Do you think Major League Baseball could work in Portland? And if it were to come here, how would that impact you guys? It's a tough. First of all, I don't think it would impact us much. Um, there, there's there's plenty of examples where Major League teams and Minor League teams coexist in the same Seattle, ma- Seattle Tacoma. Seattle Tacoma. There's you know now you've got um, St. Paul and you've got the Twins, right. which are like 20 minutes away. And and before St. Paul was an independent team, so they weren't even affiliated with the Twins. So now it's going to work even better. So there's, I think there's plenty of examples that um, you know, will prove that it's not going to have much of an impact. Um, would it work? I, I don't know. It's so hard. I don't know the business model at the major league level. I've never seen a budget for a major league team. Um, I can make some guesses and assumptions. Um, I think I think it would be you would need to pack that place every night. Right. I, I don't, I, it, it would be tough to project enough TV revenue with the TV and how much revenue that the regional TV deal contributes to the to the payroll and, and everything else. Um, I think it would be tough to generate a substantial payroll to compete. Um, you know, you're gonna need 150 million easily to compete. Yeah. And you just start doing the math of sponsorships, TV revenue, tickets, food and beverage in a market like Portland and um, it's going to be 
it's going to be an uphill battle for sure. I think the first few years would be really, really good. I think I think every game would sell out. So the key would be building a competitive product right away right. And, and engaging those fans because if you come out of the gates and your team's not very good for three years, it's going to turn people off and they're going to go to other they're going to resume their normal activities. Well, I, I, and granted, different sport, but I wonder how closely people are just watching how well the NHL is adapting to, to Seattle. And uh, as a big hockey fan myself, I was I've been looking for like single game tickets, and the cheapest ones you can get are still like 120 bucks, like through February. So like you definitely have that instant like we're going to go to this. But yep. I, I'm curious to see what that looks like in year two and kind of the doldrums of, of February, March when it's you know. It worked in Vegas because they were successful right away at, at exactly. that level, and, and so I, I'm I, w- I wonder how important it's going to be for that franchise to be successful right away. And right now they look like they're okay. But, yeah, yeah, you know. no, you're, you're right. I mean, Vegas was such a unique situation. I mean, very few teams are going to come in expansion teams and just and just blow the doors off. And but Vegas, the demand was extremely high there because they were the first major professional sport, right. and that city I think had been clamoring for a major sport. They've had minor league sports. Um, and then the Raiders came in and did the same thing. I mean, they just crushed it sales wise. Um, so, you know, here you've got major league teams established, so you're not going to be able to draw a comparison of, of, of a Vegas with, with Portland. Um, you know, um, Seattle, I think, I think that the, the lightning in a bottle in Seattle was the arena yeah. Everyone knows Key Arena and had been there many times and knew it was a pretty tired experience. So to have a world-class arena, one of the best in the world now. Um, um, and people with that nostalgia factor of like, oh, I want to see what that looks exactly, like Exactly, yeah. exactly. There's there's a lot of that. And then and then I, I think, you know, the, the, the hockey market has been built up so much over time yeah. that you definitely had that built-in fan base that wasn't, being served as much on the on the minor league side for hockey. All right, last last thing I'll get you out of here on. Uh, are you more of a winter meetings or a spring training guy? Because like both, as someone who grew up, like I would always read all the rumors on like Seattle Times blog about like what was going on at me- winter meetings. It just seemed like it was wheeling and dealing, and this is this is where teams get made versus just like the ah, spring yeah. training. Yeah, I, I love the winter meetings, and the reason I love the winter meetings so much is. It's almost like a family reunion every December. So, you know, over the course of 20 years now, I've been in baseball, you build so many different relationships over time, different, different, you know, GMs or whatever they are for different teams. And you become friends with these people. And the winter meetings is the one place that you're all going to be together. And so there's a lot of late nights. Um, hotel bars are, are, you know, from four o'clock to probably four o'clock <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the hotel bars uh, get a fair amount of business but it, it's just it's so social and now does that go on the Diamondbacks expense account or is that going on the Hops <laughs> <Yeah>. expense <laughs> there, there might be a night or two on the Diamondbacks yeah, yeah, expense yeah. account but <laughs> most of the time that it's either Hops or personal yeah. expense account um, but it's just you know it's just it's so fun to see everyone and everyone's in a good mood um, you know we, we talk about baseball and work but we also just we're just friends and, and you develop really good friendships but those relationships and friendships that we build every year at the winter meetings then help us operate in the off season because then if you have a question or you've got a challenge and COVID brought us all together too because we're trying to figure this all out together right. but those of us that have built this network over the years and and work that network at the winter meetings through those relationships 
we can pick up the phone at any point or send a text really quick and, and we know really good operators in the business and we can kind of figure out what they're doing, how they're approaching something. So um, that network is, is, has been incredible. Spring training is fun. Um, we, we would typically take our front office. If we hit our sales goal, we'd always take our front office to the oh, cool. to spring training. So That's a good incentive. Was, I, like, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it, it's great. And, and D, the Diamondbacks take really good care of us when we go down there. And um, one year in 2000, it was the 2015 March, um, Mark Grace was our hitting coach in 2014. And we saw him and he said, you know, Kale, um, we never really got to celebrate the championship in 2014. So why don't you bring the staff over to, to my place oh, uh, Saturday night and, and we'll have a little barbecue and drink some wine. And, and, and so it was, it was a blast. So we all went over to Mark Grace's house and, you know, he's showing us his little casita with all his silver slugger awards and gold gloves and pictures with Michael Jordan and all the right. celebrities he was around in Chicago and, and telling stories. And, um, you know, it's just a great, it was a, it was a neat moment. Jair House, our manager was there with us and, and who's now in the big leagues with the Reds. Um, you know, so again, it's, it's those relationships you build through baseball and then having those types of experiences, um, make it, make it pretty special. People can buy season season tickets and everything right now. Everything, yeah, for the most part, everything's on sale. I think our mini plans are going on sale next week, um, but season tickets are on sale. We do a quarter season, a half season, and a full season, which have been pretty popular. Being able to chop it up so no no one has to commit to sixty six games, um, and then our, our mini plans I think are going to be pretty successful this year. We're doing a fireworks Friday plan that has a bunch of firework nights and some premium nights and. Um, should be a good should be a good year. Hopefully, more of a, a normal twenty twenty two. I think all of us are hoping for. Well, shoot, man, I remember I remember talking to you in this office. Well, not this specific office because you guys have remodeled in here eight nine years ago, and you were saying the key to kind of keeping the momentum you guys had that first year was replicating that ex- experience of keeping the ballpark clean, having the right sort of festivities, having entertainment, good food, and everything. And I went to a game September this year, and it. it it was just just as good as like the first time. Like you guys have done such, like such a good job with it, and it's uh, I I would encourage anyone who hasn't been able to come out to the ballpark yet to, to definitely come out because it's a uh, um, it's it's a really high quality experience out here. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, our team takes takes a lot of pride in the experience. Our our, our mission statement is first class experiences for fans, players, staff, and community, and. Um, that's our filter for everything we do is we, we want a first class experience. And I think it's, we, we, we got off to a great start in 2013, 2014. And then every year we try to challenge ourselves to be better. And, and I think that's what's kept us relevant is every year we try to one up ourselves. And how do we be more friendly? How do we be more clean? How do we be more fun? Um, but at the end of the day, especially we saw in 2021, like people just love coming out here. Opening day in May of 2021, which happened to be my birthday, which is ironic, was one of the neatest moments of my hmm. career to be able to open the gates after losing 2020. There were there was there was a lot of emotions that night that you could see with fans, with our front office, with our game day staff who hadn't worked for a long time. Um, it was like reuniting with with your family. It right. was it was really. A neat experience. One I'll, I'll remember as vividly as opening night 2013, or our first championship in 2014. You know, it was that powerful of a moment. Even even though we only had 800 people 
in the ballpark. Yeah. Um, so I think what's going to be even cooler is is twenty twenty two opening day and we have a full house and and seeing that you know opening day full house again, um, hopefully will be a big moment for our for our community that all right we're we're getting our lives back here. Awesome. Well, thanks a ton, Gail. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, good luck with everything you do, Tyson. We'll be big followers and big supporters. Awesome. Thanks, man.